Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo! Welcome to Just Ghoul With It, a podcast where we talk about how society influences our favorite and sometimes least favorite horror movies. And today we're talking about It. <laughs> Not to be confused with It Follows. This is just It. <laughs> just It. Just It. The original, to be clear. The original made for TV It. So I'm super excited. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sorry. I'm Nikki. And I'm Kate. Great. We, you know, did it out of order this time, but whatever. Who's to say what order matters? Time's We're not, living free. Time's not real. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Time's fake. Everything's fake. Um, do you want me to give you some facts about it? I real would love quick. it. Okay. Um, I would love it. Okay. That's the last time I'm making that dumb, <laughs> dumb joke. I just had to get it out I of the way. I love it. <laughs> What's funny hey. is like it's not even a joke. It's just like that's the word you can't avoid yeah, it. That's it's, life. Yeah. You gotta. <laughs> ugh, it's too late. Um. Okay. 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 <clears throat> so, the this movie was made for TV, which is super weird. Um. I didn't know that for like the longest time. Um. Yeah. It was made in 1990. It was done in. Oh, I can't remember how many it was cut into. If, I don't know if you know by chance, but. Two, just two. So I know it's cut into two chapters, but I don't know if they premiered it on TV fully in two chapters or if it was like, I don't know, but it was made for TV. It was a two-night affair. Two-night affair. So uh, it was directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, and uh, he directed Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which I've never seen, but I've heard from many people that it's like their favorite uh, installment in the Halloween movies. See, I'm broken, and now whenever anyone says witch, I'm like, oh, you mean the vavitch? The vavitch. The vavitch. I, I, now, now, see, we're having the same issue with it, yeah. because now I keep saying, which is fun, and then I'm like, I'm saying W-H-I-C-H, <laughs> and it's coming. What a mess we've created. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> we just got to trash it. Start over. <laughs> Scrap it. Pick um, new identities. <laughs> we're doing it live. Uh, so yeah, he directed Halloween three, season of the witch, um, and Fright Night Part Two. He's oh. a sequel guy. He likes the sequels. Um, he he's done other things. Those were just the two that like I knew, and I was like, yeah, like I haven't seen them, but I know of those. Um, it was adapted by Lawrence D. Cohen from Stephen King's novel, It. Obviously, uh, that was written in 1890 1896. <laughs> this Can is you a very imagine? Old book. Stephen oh King God. is an ancient. <laughs> I would not being. be surprised. That man is weird. Um, it was written, bird. written in 1986. So it was adapted pretty quick. Like, I mean, it seems like people obviously were like, well, this is a hit. We got to make a movie. <laughs> and they did. Um, okay. Richard Bellis composed uh, the score. Uh, guess what else he did? Star a video game. Uh, no, you. <laughs> it's not always going to be a video game. <laughs> He did Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh. Yeah. I was uh, I was intri- intrigued by that because this is just, they seem so different. But, a little bit. Yeah. And this is another 
he also did the music for the Animal Kingdom attraction at Disney. <laughs> a man of many talents. A man of many talents, right? Um, okay, and the last thing I wrote was uh, Richard Lederman. He did the cinematography. There wasn't a lot about him, but he was a Canadian cinematographer. He specifically did, like, documentaries, mostly. But when I, like, was looking him up, the one thing that it said underneath, like, all of this information just said helped define Canadian cinema. I was like, <laughs> all right, hell yeah, like good for this dude. And when I read that it was like documentaries, I was like, that kind of makes sense because this had a real, real life kind of aspect to it in the camera shots. Like it wasn't too like wild. It was very much like this is how someone would see it. That's how I'm going to film it. <laughs> so, um, and the budget was... for the movie was $12 million. Oh, boy. It's a lot, right? Yeah. For a made-for-TV, like, uh, movie, that's a lot. Now I feel like I need to look up comparisons for other made-for-TV movies, and then how much the more recent iteration of It. Oh. Like, what the budget for that. I, can I mean, I'm sure it's bananas. Yeah, I was like, I can only imagine it's a shit ton, because it had yeah. a lot more, like, special effects as, com- like, compared to the practical effects that are in this one. But yeah, I... Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's what I've got. That's my information for uh, for the movie It. Ooh, okay. So how about you give us a summary? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Here we go. <laughs> See, this one's extra hard for me because I've seen this movie a million times and I still have no idea what the hell it's about. Um, so you got a bunch of kids, okay? The lucky seven, as they call themselves. Seven kids that are all... Uh, these are not my words, but words of the bullies, the losers. They're a bunch of losers. Uh, so you got like, you know, a nerdy kid, a kid that's always sick. You got a kid who's funny. I don't know. <laughs> that's his whole shtick is he's just funny. Uh, yeah. So these kids are like, they live in a town called Derry. And um, it's apparently real spooky because kids just go missing like every like what like a hundred years or something I don't know seventy years but like kids 30. just thirty whatever <laughs> it's actually twenty seven in the okay, book and then thirty in this worse. movie and then twenty seven in the next one <laughs> that's worse that means that yeah. it happens more often than I said yeah. and people are still like why would I move <laughs> just like you know twice a generation mass amounts of children die but it's chill yeah so like they live in this town and kids consistently go missing every 30 or so years and uh it starts to happen and the kids are seeing like a scary clown and i guess he takes the form of like their deepest fears and stuff like that but for all of them he does look like a scary clown which he is really scary i i watched this as a kid and i was haunted by tim curry's performance as this clown uh so they see the scary clown they decide, like, they have to defeat it, which if I was a kid in this situation, I'd be like, no. <laughs> I would just ignore the situation and not get taken by this clown. They decide to go into, like, the sewers or something. They also get followed into the sewers by a bully that, like, has been bullying them this whole time, which, like, okay, one more thing and to worry about. And he also the worst hair ever. Oh, the worst hair. He looks like a, a teddy boy. Do you know, like, the teddy boy, uh, it's, like, a trend that was sort of going around, like, in um, no. late 50s, maybe, like, early 60s. It, it's that, like, look. It's that greasery kind of look where yeah. they mix, like, Victorian fashion with, um like, a punk look. 
It's cool, but this was not my... I did not like his look. But yeah, they get followed into the sewer by the bully as well as like the demon thing that's down there. And it was just like, you know, they have enough to worry about. <laughs> Leave them alone. And, uh, you know, a few of them... The bullies, I'm not going to say they, they don't make it because I don't really know what happened to them, but they're not good. And the kids go into the sewer and they, they have a slingshot. They shoot the thing with a slingshot. Apparently that just does it. And it goes back into its little, you know, sewer prison. Only to come back like 30 years later and eat more kids. So as you do. So like, really, I don't know what their slingshot even did as much as just annoy it. But whatever. <laughs> And that, well, that that's was a beautiful summary. Like that truly did feel like it captured the tone and the depth of emotions that this movie encapsulates. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I, I this movie, I it doesn't matter how many times I've watched it, I have no idea what's happening. But I did my best. Only the best for just cool with it. Only the best for us. Only the best. Okay, so you gave an amazing summary. I'm going to offer another from IMDB. Okay. In the quiet town of Derry, Maine, seven friends, Bill, Eddie, Mike, Beverly, Stanley, Richie, and Ben, the Losers Club, have all been seeing and hearing strange things, most of which revolve around a clown called Pennywise, in which they all admit being real. I did not proofread this. Most of which revolve around a clown, in which they all admit being real. The kids eventually <laughs> discover that the leader of the club... <laughs> Listen... <laughs> This is Yours is better. Synopsis. <laughs> or my Your summary. summary. <laughs> Your summary is so much better. Honestly, I'm killing it. This is the first time that I've come out on top. Like, I didn't say the clown's name. I didn't say the kids' names. But whatever. I got everything else. Let's see if the second half of this makes more sense. <laughs> we'll see. The group sets out to stop the force and put it to rest once and for all. 30 years after defeating it... Mike, the only member who remained in Derry, is suspecting that it has returned and is forced to call back all of the Losers Club due to a promise they all made to return if its evil should ever resurface. Uncovering new powers, clues, and evil, the club reunites as adults and come face to face with the evil that has haunted and fed on Derry for the last few centuries. And that last line is supposed to be chilling, but I read it, haunted and fed on Derry. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's a choice. <laughs> They're lactose intolerant. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that so, was a summary. Mine was better. I mean, this yes. is the first time. I know this is only episode two, but like if we're setting a precedent now that I have to be good yeah. at this because mine was way better. I even got the fact that they're losers in there. <laughs> I remembered did. that. I didn't remember the lucky name. seven. Lucky seven. Yeah. I took it all in. It's all in here. <laughs> sort of. Um, okay, so that was great. We know what this movie's about. I mean, well, okay, we mostly know what this movie's about. It's a wild one. Um, and I am so excited because I have only heard tales of the amount of notes that you've taken for this. Because it's yeah. time for it's time for Kate's Nerd Corner. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry and you're welcome in advance. Oh my god. So uh I will preface this by saying one <clears throat> full page is uh quoted text. That is optional. We don't have to go through it. But all of my notes are six pages. (gasps) (laughs) Six pages of notes. Yeah. For the made for TV movie. (laughs) (laughs) 
Tim Curry deserves the best. He does. He 100% does. That's why I took a page and a half. Because <laughs> I love him with all my heart. <laughs> we have different odes to Tim Curry. We do. Yeah. Okay. So there are a few things that I think are helpful to know about this time period mm-hmm. and the creation of this adaptation. Yeah. So I'm going to say two things. Yeah. One, there were major content restrictions because it's a made-for-TV adaptation, oh, which yeah. you mentioned. And I'm going to dive into a little bit deeper, but not much, because I'm spending most of my time on two. This was written during and released after the height of the Stranger Danger moral <gasps> panic. Oh, dang. Yeah. That makes sense. So With the like the milk carton kids and all that. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, the milk carton kids. I think started in eighty four. Uh, yeah. There's so so much there to talk about. Stranger Danger and Moral Panics oh and God. how they coalesce. Okay, so I'll get into the components and implications mm-hmm. of Moral Panics, but first the restrictions on it. Okay. Because this was made for TV as opposed to a theatre as opposed to a theatrical release. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to e-theatrical release. A theatrical release. <laughs> <laughs> because it was made for TV, it had to comply with the broadcast standards and practices. Yeah. This meant limits on violence, gore, and blood, which is an interesting restriction which to work is- around for a movie where one of the early scenes features a child getting his arm ripped off by a killer clown in a sewer. Yeah, not only that, but like this movie has a lot of blood. Like... That's actually an interesting thing that I will get to in a minute. Okay. Because okay. most of the blood is never seen coming from a body. Oh, it is you're uh, right. separate from bodies. So you see blood coming out of the sink. The sink you see balloons. blood popping from a balloon. But only one part in the first half do you see it coming from a body. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I never even like thought about that. Huh. So interesting. If there are limits on let's see. If there's limits on violence, gore, and blood. Where will the horror come from then? Yeah. Buckets of blood. Turns out you can do a lot with dread, euphemism, and some symbolism. And clowns. And clowns. You can do a lot with clowns. Really, clowns are carrying the most weight, but there's also some symbolism, I guess. Oh, totally. So in the opening scene of the movie, when Laurie-Anne is killed by Pennywise, Mm -hmm. you never see Laurie's body. No. You instead see the wheel of her overturned tricycle turning and then stop. far worse. I Mm -hmm. like. I was like, I wrote that down. Like, it was so scary not seeing where the kids go because you don't actually know if they die, which they talk about in the movie. That's so scary to just be like, yeah. well, it's well, this kid's gone. Where did it go? I have no idea. That's so scary. Oh, my God. Because yeah. she's just outside minding her own business. Yeah. And then you hear, like, the laugh. And then you Ugh. see, like, as just mm-hmm. a quick flash of him. Between the laundry hanging. This little wave. Ugh, God. Yeah. And then the next thing you see is her tricycle turned on its side, the wheel spinning. And as her mother sees it, the wheel stops spinning. The end of a short life. And then the mother screams, and that's what you right. get from it. Which is a hell of an opening, too. Because, like, oh, yeah. one, you get a scary clown, but you only get, like, a glimpse of him. And you really... Mm-hmm. I like that every time you see him, you see him turn from, like, just a regular clown to, like, terrifying. They always show you that, which is nice because it's like, oh boy, it always scares yeah. me. <laughs> he doesn't lead with teeth; he builds no. up to teeth. You you always build up to teeth yeah. in every relationship I've been in. It's always you gotta build to the teeth. I actually don't even know what that means. That could be really. I don't sexual. either. And I'm scared. 
in my mind, I was I was thinking like you never show the person you're with your teeth until like you're really comfortable. But I guess it could be in like a more sexual uh, reference. But I was picturing just like can't show my teeth. <laughs> You'll never know. You'll never know. <laughs> These are my secrets to keep. <laughs> These are my teeth. My my teeth rits. Teeth rits. <laughs> my teeth rits. <laughs> Excellent. I created my own nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) So working around these restrictions actually made it fairly unique for the time Mm -hmm. because it became a psychological horror with a heavy focus on character development and the internal lives of the characters, unlike many other horror films at the time. Especially in the 80s, yeah, because that's when slasher stuff was like, great, you know, like, that's what everyone loved. For sure. Mm -hmm. The biggest restriction was that they were not supposed to show children in danger. And um, that's kind of the point of the entire first half of Hold the book. They are Hold all youth. They are all in danger all the time. So Pennywise, the creature from outer space, feasts on children roughly every 30 years. Because I think in the book it's 27, and then in this movie it's 30, and then the next movie it's 27. Anyway, inconsistencies, it's about 30 years. So to get around this restriction, they talked about Georgie having his arm ripped off instead of showing it. So this is kind of an example of following the letter of the law, but not the spirit. Right. Yeah. That's, I can't get over that they were like, hey, we'd love to make this movie. It's about a bunch of kids in danger. And they were like, cool, you can't show kids in danger. And they were like, no worries. <laughs> You're like, cool, I love your pitch, except the entire premise is not allowed. And they're like, cool, I've cool, got- we got this. We can work with that. Cool. And they, I mean, they did. Because like, yeah. if you had told me that, I would have, I, I mean, I didn't. I have no idea. <laughs> Those kids were in danger in my mind. I mean, all right. How'd they get around that? Like, do you, do you have it? Like, so the thing was like, they didn't show a child being harmed. They talked about a child being harmed. And so my reading of this is that they did not show children in danger. They talked about children in danger. And I don't know if that's actually how they like got around it, but I guess my biggest like okay but like they show the bully a lot like threatening Mm -hmm. these kids with his little knife is it different because it's a child putting another child in danger i know it sounds silly but i think it is because like this also might get into the stranger Mm -hmm. danger stuff because like children in peril from adults is i guess different from children in peril from other children i mean i guess yeah because like an adult is also has power so it's like more mm-hmm. threatening so I, I can see it this bully was you know supposed to be like a kid he was so older i mean he was like a teen compared to them who were like i guess they were also teens but they seemed so much younger i don't know but yeah that's funny to me that they were like okay we gotta make sure these kids are only in danger from other kids <laughs> and <laughs> mission accomplished i guess And see, that is scary because you have, like, this isn't in my notes, but you have different levels of fear where you have Beverly's fear of her father, and then you have kids fearing other kids, and, like, fearing human nature, Mm -hmm. and then you also have the fear of a literal extraterrestrial being that's going to eat you. So it operates on many levels. Can we also, just real quick, forgot that this thing was supposed to be from space. You called this thing, like, an extraterrestrial, and I was like, what do you know that I don't? (laughs) I was like, what the hell? And then I was like, oh, yeah, this thing's supposed to be. All right, yeah. <laughs> My he's whole a spider life. from sp- he he's is. a spider from space, right? I, You know, 
<laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't I don't know. My whole life I've just been like, I don't know, demon. <laughs> I guess it's a spider from space. For some reason, and I don't know why, I cannot tell you why, it makes it less scary to me <laughs> to know that he's from space. I'm like, ugh, whatever. <laughs> aliens aren't scary. Is that, what Nikki aliens? said. Don't don't come for me, aliens, please. I'm so afraid. <laughs> Aliens, you heard her. No. Nikki's not afraid of you. Oh, God. Kate, uh, we're going to re- try to record the next episode, and I'll be gone. Yep. So this is your fault. I Yeah, I can accept that at some level. <laughs> and you're fine with it. That's fine. <laughs> I'm, like, Googling it now because, okay, an ancient cosmic evil which preys upon children. Okay. So an alien came down from space and was like, ah, you know what I want to do? Oh, my God. Every 30 years, I want to take a bunch of kids. <laughs> You know what sounds really great and soothing after my long nap? Terrifying, Terrifying children to the spheres. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that. Okay. okay. Interesting. I need... <clears throat> Sorry, I like wanted to make sure that I wasn't just. I don't think you're wrong. I think that I just never, because I've never read the book. Um, I want to. Like, I have the book. I just haven't finished it. It's a very long book, as I'm sure people know. And I have ADHD, so reading is uh, difficult. So I haven't read the book. I know parts of it. And I think deep down I probably knew that that was the case, that this thing was like an alien, and I truly just pushed it out of my mind. <laughs> this article says in both the book and the films, it is an ancient alien creature older than civil- older than civilization, and in King's novel, older than our universe. Whoa. I do remember that. I do remember that he's supposed to be like the oldest thing ever, but like... That's so funny. Okay, cool. All right. It's an alien. <laughs> no, I just had like a miniature panic. So I'm glad mm. that like this was resolved because I was like, oh, no. no you're Have totally I been right. a fool this whole time? <laughs> yes, but for different reasons. So <laughs> uh, because of the way that it had to adapt for the broadcast standards and practices, mm-hmm. it was a pretty unique made for TV movie especially for a horror movie. Yeah. And maybe that's one of the reasons that I had a cult status among some horror fans. hmm And now, are you ready to talk about moral panics? Always. <laughs> so, first, what is a moral panic? There are several definitions and qualifying aspects, but Ashley Crossman offers a succinct and simple explanation of a moral panic in an article entitled A Sociological Understanding of Moral Panic. I love when article titles are just like, this is what it is. Yeah, no, I love that. Don't beat around the bush. Just tell me. No. Don't hide the teeth. Just tell me. Be up front. (laughs) Don't hide your teeth. It's been years. You can tell me. It's okay. Show me. (laughs) So Crossman says, a moral panic is a widespread fear, most often an irrational one, that someone or something is a threat to the values, safety, and interests of a community or society at large. Typically, a moral panic is perpetuated by the news media, fueled by politicians, and often results in the passage of new laws or policies that target the source of the panic. So, even if people are unfamiliar with the sociological concept of moral Mm -hmm. panics, the saturation of moral panics makes them pretty much unavoidable. Right, okay. So, Salem Witch Trials, the war on drugs, the satanic panic, the gay agenda. The the gay agenda. The gay agenda. (laughs) Here we go. <laughs> then also the entire dialogue around so-called welfare queens. So those are yeah. just a few examples of moral panics. And obviously it's going to be dependent on the location. Mm-hmm. So like some moral panics were across both the U.S. and the U.K., but with different cultural like values and norms, there are going to be different moral panics. Right. 
So the relevant moral panic mm-hmm. here is stranger danger. Yeah. For a true deep dive into stranger danger as a moral panic, I recommend that folks check out the stranger danger episode of the podcast You're Wrong About. I highly recommend it, especially if you want the numbers, headlines, quotes, all that. I'm giving a quick rundown because their episode was like an hour long and it went deep in the weeds. And I have a feeling that we're not ready for that right now. Plus, they've already done it. Yeah, true. We've already given the recommendation. You want want the deep one, you go there. Yeah. We're just going to give you the quick one. Yep. The little spicy one. Quick and spicy. Quick and spicy. That's what what they always say. (laughs) I hope I can live up to that. Okay. So, quick rundown. In the late 70s and early 80s, the kidnappings and, in at least one case, murder of several young white boys were widely publicized and garnered national attention like few cases had previously. These cases had typically been big in, like, the town where it occurred, Mm -hmm. but hadn't gotten national attention on this scale. Notably, just a few years prior, the kidnapping and murder of at least 28 children of color in Atlanta had taken much longer to attract media coverage and nationwide concern. So it wasn't that, oh, no, suddenly kids are disappearing. It was, oh, white kids are disappearing and yeah so there's a lot of classism and racism mixed up in this as Mm -hmm. the entire history of the united states yeah i was like to be expected sadly yeah so when you think of uh stranger danger or child abduction Mm -hmm. the first name that a lot of people think of is adam walsh he Mm -hmm. was the son of john walsh the longtime host of america's most wanted and (sighs) before his son was abducted he that show wasn't like, he was not the host of that show. I don't think the show right. existed for a while. Yeah. But, like, he came to, like, he <clears throat> was so savvy with the way that he, like, pulled in media attention and kept it focused. Mm-hmm. And his career trajectory went from there. Yeah. Um, so Adam was abducted from Miss Sears in 1981. And then his severed head was found two <gasps> weeks later in a drainage ditch in Florida. Oh, my God. So, obviously horrific this case along with several others really brought the fear of stranger abduction to the forefront yeah while the numbers show that most abduction cases are perpetrated by the non-custodial parent or guardian Mm i.e someone known to the child yeah congressional testimony and interviews at the time misrepresented the numbers Uh and consequently the public at large was led to believe that children were at constant risk of being plucked off the neighborhood street by a stranger who was usually also a pedophile in a white van yeah this moral panic has everything. Kids were cautioned about the glut of strangers ready and waiting to abduct them by promising puppies or candy. There was very flawed data regarding sex offenders, recidivism, and child abduction. That data was released and upheld as incontrovertible truth. And new laws based on this misleading data were put into effect. So those are meeting basically all the criteria of a moral panic. And there was also this really interesting confluence of conservatism and moral panic happening at that point. But again... If you want a deeper analysis, <laughs> check out You're Wrong About. And I can also include <clears throat> incredible sources in the show notes, which you can find on our website. Heck yeah. We got great show so, notes. bringing it back to Our Murderous Clown. Yeah. Stephen King started writing it in 81, mm-hmm. finished the novel in 85, and published in 86. Right. So maybe he wasn't at all influenced by the Stranger Danger Moral Paddock. He started writing it in the year Adam Walsh was kidnapped and murdered, but having not mm-hmm. interviewed... Stephen King, I can't say if he was influenced right, by that yeah. aspect. <laughs> Who's to say if that part of the cultural milieu like stuck with him or not? Yeah. But it's unquestionable that it was released during the height of the Stranger Danger moral panic and therefore 
the perception of Pennywise as a threat Mm -hmm. could be compounded by the prevailing belief that the greatest threat to your child is a sadistic stranger. And maybe that's one of the reasons this movie is such a classic, because it plays on such a recognizable fear. That's what I was just thinking. I was like, after you said that, I was like, I wonder if that's why it was so scary. Because I remember when I was younger, I mean, people were like, oh, it's like the scariest movie. It's so scary. And I, I wonder if it's because, yeah, they were like, it's a stranger. We don't like strangers. And it's a clown. Like, <laughs> and it's a clown. And it's a clown. Like, honestly, the worst. <laughs> so I think it's important to just like, with all of that in mind, to say that the main motifs of the movie are like the impact of childhood trauma and the bonds of friendship. It right. has more motifs than just stranger danger. But I think it is important to say that this movie was not released into a vacuum. It was delivered to a public that was primed to believe pedophilic yeah. strangers were just waiting to abduct children. Yeah. So one very clear example in the movie concerns the trope entitled, does this remind you of anything? So I'm going to go into more tropes later because I freaking love them. But I think that this one in particular shows a strong connection to the cultural anxieties of the time. So uh, it's not the opening scene, but Mm -hmm. one of the early scenes is Georgie. He's being lured to his death by Pennywise, who is lurking in a sewer drain and Mm -hmm. promises Georgie balloons, carnival fun, cotton candy, and the return of his paper boat. Sounds like an absolute blast. Right. That's all we want. That's all I want. I'm just going to be upset that I don't have that for a minute. Okay. So being a child of the 90s and watching this scene, Mm -hmm. I vividly remember Stranger Danger sessions from elementary school. I remember my favorite part. You could see the regret in this teacher's eyes before they even did it. But they had us practice screaming as loud as we could. And what that was a mistake. I know. And oh, you no. knew that they had given this presentation before because they were like someone that was brought in to give this presentation. Yeah. And it's like you could see them stealing themselves for the they scream of 30 small coming. children at once. They knew it. And they did it anyway. Wow. So when I was watching this, I was remembering the Stranger Danger sessions from elementary school. And I thought this is familiar. (laughs) This is what my teachers warned me about. So even though I saw this movie for the first time this week, Mm -hmm. I was raised with stranger danger in mind, and it serves as a connecting thread that plays on an ingrained fear. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my brief examination of the cultural context. We can talk about horror now. Yay! Okay, that was great. And that totally, like, not changes it. Because, I mean, I did go into it knowing, because I watched this a long time ago. I saw this when I was younger. And the yeah, like the stranger danger thing is very much a big thing in this. So I knew about that a little bit, but hearing you explain it really made it like, oh yeah, like no wonder this was so scary, especially when it was released. Even with all the restrictions they had, I feel like it wouldn't have mattered. This was scary as hell. <laughs> At least to me. I'm sure there are people out there who's like, it's not that scary. And I'm like, oh, well, you're wrong. So um, I, okay. Oh, sorry. You go ahead. No, go ahead. I had nothing. <laughs> So something like one of the first things that I noticed when it started up was Mm -hmm. how bright the colors were. And I think that that is something like I'll give my two part explanation Mm -hmm. for why I think that makes it scarier. Yeah. So there's like this bright childlike color. So when you see all of the cops coming up to the house after Mm -hmm. Lorianne is killed, they're all wearing like uh, those bright yellow raincoats. Yep. And like – Pennywise has a very bright yellow dungarees or whatever they're called and like the bright red hair. Yeah. And like none of the colors are intentionally muted where nope. it's not like it was gray washed. It's a very saturated yeah. movie. 
that's the word. I don't know color theory. That's all <laughs> so, I know. <laughs> so you have this juxtaposition of aggressively cheerful right next to Faley Dangerous. Okay, and we wrote down the same thing, Kate. <laughs> that is so funny. I literally wrote, intense primary colors are childish, which is a fun juxtaposition to the horror in the within the monster. <laughs> same Brain. Same brain. Because it is. That's what it is. I mean, they used primary colors that you learn as a kid, your basic yellows, blues, reds, greens, to be like, look, it's simple. It's nice. It's like, you know this. This is familiar. And then they put it on something that is horrifying and not familiar and scary to be like, even though it's familiar, it doesn't mean that it's safe. Like, that's and it. And that reminds me of another part where it's like, a lot of horror movies rely on darkness mm-hmm. and like indistinctness where right. it's like you can't see very well in this space so maybe right. it's lurking but in this so much of the horror takes place in broad daylight so instead of feeling like the daylight is safe you realize nowhere is safe and that w- yeah yeah that was another part that i really loved i loved that it's they don't hide the monster or i guess the alien whatever they don't hide <laughs> They don't. I love that they don't hide him and he shows up as like a million different things. And the only time I would say he's like lurking or being kind of like hidden would be that moment with, oh God, Richie? Is it Richie? The the werewolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even then, that, that moment becomes bright when he turns into Pennywise. So it's like, it's just interesting that they never really hide him. And it also, I think, might be... uh. I think it ties into the fact that their cinematographer was, you know, someone who made documentaries because it was like, like I said, I mean, he shows you what you're going to see. You know what I mean? Like in a documentary, things aren't going to be dimly lit. They want to show you what they're going to show you. This is what they're here to show you. And I feel like because of that, he was like, yeah, I'm going to show you what the focus is and I'm not going to hide it. And I wonder if that maybe was uh, why they either chose him or maybe just it just worked out well. I love that perspective. And now I also really mm-hmm. want a documentary version of it. Right. Where it's like, and here you see the clown in its natural right. habitat, the sewer. <laughs> I uh, want it. That's my natural habitat, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a nice dark sewer. My natural habitat mm. is the blanket fort. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. leave it. It's nice you can't and see Kate. Kate's in a blanket fort, and it's amazing. I'm in a closet, like... Not emotionally, but, like, physically. (laughs) Emotionally, what is it? I'm in a Walmart parking lot. Not physically, but emotionally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know where I am emotionally, but physically, I am in my closet. Kate's in a blanket fort, and uh, that's great. But, but yeah, so that... That was really interesting. I, it was very direct, w- opposed to, you know, we just watched It Follows, where it's supposed to be kind of like, who is the monster? Where is it? Can you see it? Where it, wh- It's so dark. It's so spooky. And then this was like, you know where it is. He's talking to you. He talks to them like they're old friends. I mean, that's the yeah. scariest part. He, I, he, yeah. he knows all about them, obviously, because he knows all their fears. But he, But he just like... He knows their personality. He knows how to talk to them to make them upset. And that's just so, ugh, ugh, so spooky. Yeah. And the way you compared it to It Follows just really drives that home for me, like personally, because Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. In It Follows, you're constantly scanning, trying to find Mm -hmm. what's hidden. 
Right. And in it, it's just like, no, here it is. And you're going to have to face it like your fears. <laughs> yeah. You're literally doing the opposite that you did in the last movie that we talked about. Because in the last movie, you you got to look hard to try to figure out where it is because it's purposefully hiding. Whereas this thing is like making itself known immediately. It wants you to see it. And uh, that's just two different kinds of horror that are both equally scary because like... Sometimes, you know, you don't want to see the scary thing, especially when you know for a fact that it's there. You can't look away. Upsetting. <laughs> yes. He's a scary clown. And I was... Okay, so I know Tim Curry from, like, Monk and Clue and right. a few other things. And so I was not prepared to see him as a clown. I, like, knew in my heart I, Oh, my God. I that, forgot, yeah, that you had yeah. seen this. Yeah, so I knew he was in it because we're like, oh, my God, Tim Curry's, Mm -hmm. like, Pennywise is so good. And I was like, but, like, I can only see him as the butler in Clue. Like, that is my entire conception of who he is. That is so funny. He has full face clown makeup and a Brooklyn accent. And I was like, who are you? See, okay, this is so funny. I'm the complete opposite. This was the first thing I ever saw Tim Curry in. So, for me, when I would watch other things... It was the complete opposite. When I saw him in Clue, I was like, that's the clown. Like, because (laughs) I saw him as a kid and I was like, oh my God, that man is scary. In my head, when I see him, it takes a second to like remove that for me. And I watched this so, so, so long ago and it doesn't go away. Like, I have seen him in so many things, even his voice. I hear his voice in shows and I'm like, the clown. Like... (laughs) And that just speaks to how, I mean, how wonderful he did, I think. Because he was so memorable that, like, it it really haunts you, you know? <laughs> and I think it's cool that we have the balance of, like, you grew up knowing this movie. Yeah. I saw it for the first time this week. And so, like, very different perspectives. Because often, like, you see a movie that scared you shitless in childhood or that you loved. Right. And you're like, oh, it was just nostalgia. Or, oh, it was just because I was a kid. This is actually not as good as I remember. Right. But, like watching this I was wondering like will I be scared of him because like he looks so silly and then right he's so sinister that's the thing it's not even that's why I like this movie as well is because mainly because of when it was made I mean it has a lack of like special effects and more practical effects which I I like practical effects I think because it makes it a little more real and there's just a lot of work into it and it's great special effects are also great not to like diminish them they're amazing what's the difference uh, practical effects are, like, they're being made. Like, it, it's okay. physically there and happening. So, like, um, I can't say for sure, but, like, that moment, like, with the balloons that pop with the blood, like, they had to, like, create that. Whereas you have, like, the special effect where he pulls open the drain to make it bigger. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like, they can't do that for real, so that's, like, a special effect. You're telling me that was fake, Nikki? Listen, I can't say for sure. Maybe it wasn't fake. Maybe it's super real. But I have a feeling. (laughs) So I did know it was a special effect, but it also kind of looked like claymation. Like a stop motion thing. I think it was. I think it was claymation. um, But that's still like, you know, a special effect they have to do to like create it. Whereas I think, and I could be wrong. Uh, the parts with the showers, I think that would be considered, like, a practical effect. I don't think that that is a special effect. I believe that that was slightly real. Those are, like, actual pipes that I think people had. Because they're just, like, telescoping. Moved. Yeah. Like, that seems like something that 
Yeah. I don't know plumbing, but I feel like that could be done. Yeah, I'm like when they came out of the walls the very first time, maybe not. I don't know. But when they're just being moved around, like you can't see them off the screen, like past the walls. So they're most likely just being controlled by like crew. And that's super cool. Like it gives it like a really real feeling of being like, God, these are moving so weird. Like <laughs> I love practical effects. Like I could talk about them all day. They're great. Um, And... I don't even remember why we were talking about the special effects and the practical effects difference. Um, but I, oh, I was just saying that I think that that gives it another sense of horror it is it adds to it. He's extra um, menacing because it's all just like him. Like it's just the way he talks. Like he did a great job of being menacing and scary just by kind of being there and like being himself and scary and that's the same thing that I think practical effects do is like, they're very real. They're very there. Like, you know, it's just neat. <clears throat> I, okay. I was today years old when I learned the difference between practical effects and special effects. And you're blowing my mind. This is <laughs> truly just like really cool to hear how it like, I don't know. I can't rephrase what you said because you already said it so well, but this was very interesting for me. And here's the thing is like, I could be wrong. Like I'm not an expert in this. Someone's probably going to correct me and that's totally fine. Please do. I, I could be wrong on what the difference is, but that's, that's my knowledge of it. And here's a fun fact for you about practical and special effects. Do you know what movie uh, looks like it would 100% be full of special effects, but is almost 100% practical effects? I know this answer, but I can't remember it. Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. That movie so, is almost 100% practical effects. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was doing some research after watching it because I was mm -hmm. like, okay, I wanted to know about the uh, guitar guy. Right. Uh, that's like just playing the just doofer. Just doing his thing, I yeah. think is his name. Uh, and I was like fascinated by that. And when I was looking into it, they were like, yeah, they had Cirque du Soleil performers mm -hmm. with the pole cat thing. Yeah. Or like the pole tricks. And it was just absolutely wild to read and that and that's what gives it such a cool thing especially when you learn it after even if you don't know it while watching if you find out after it gives it a whole new feeling about a movie when you're like what <laughs> like that wasn't fake that was real that's that's crazy and that's what this movie does to me is like you watch it and you're like that that part's like real like that's that's so scary like <laughs> i love that one of my favorite childhood memories of, like, watching a behind-the-scenes thing was Jimmy Neutron, the movie, because they show how they did the Foley work <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. how they created sounds. And I hadn't known that people oh. had to make Is it sounds. Foley and work so they talk the coolest thing. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, watching someone do Foley work, to me, is absolutely fascinating because they're trying to figure out, like, you would never guess that Goddard's paws were, like – crushing cans right? you know or like whatever it was it's, it's yeah i i love foley work i that's another thing that i will like nerd out about i wrote that about it follows in my notes last time was like when i wrote this sound is juicy and i know that sounds gross <laughs> but it's the best way i can like think to describe it because it reminds me this is gonna sound so weird and so nerdy but it reminds me of like when you bite into fruit and it's just like a big bite and you get like a lot of juice and it's flavorful it's like that's what the sound feels like mm. like same with video games like when you hear that like crunch of like your feet walking it's satisfying right like same thing with like you open your inventory and you get that like crunch of like moving your stuff around it's juicy like it's good like it gives you a sense of like 
ooh, this is real. This is like, I can touch this, even though you're not. And that's, oh, Foley work. Amazing. I love it. It's a juicy fruit, that Foley. <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> Some good Merch Foley, idea. Juicy, juicy fruit, fruit. Foley. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like on a juicy fruit just, yeah. wrapper. <laughs> juicy Foley. <laughs> that's the only word I could think to describe it for some reason. It's just like unexpected. It's just, yeah, like it's full. It's it's great. I mean, I've told you before how I inappropriately say things are yummy sometimes. It's true. So, like, I, I know this like about similar. you. <laughs> Same brain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Everything's food related. I can't stop. It has um, to be. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this movie just had a lot of great stuff going for it, honestly. I think the stuff you said about the stranger danger, especially, dang, that blew my mind. Because like I knew about it, but it just, to that extent, yikes. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like a lot of things aligned in my life for me to come across that research that's at mm-hmm. the same time because I'd always known that like Stranger Danger was a moral panic. Yeah. But I was like binging a new podcast <laughs> and I saw it. that. Yeah. And I was that's, like, I can work this in. That's great. And that's, and yeah. it's true. I mean, it's totally true. Cause you and I grew up at a like, similar time. We're like, yeah, Stranger Danger was a thing. Like, you know, we got taught in school all the time. It was like, don't talk to anybody. Don't do anything. And I still like to this day, if someone talks to me, I'm always like, I don't know. Mm-mm. I'm always like, mm, let's hold on. Pump the brakes. <laughs> don't show the teeth, you know? <laughs> Keep this a secret. Pump the brakes. Don't show the teeth. <laughs> the classic sayings that everyone knows. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> um, okay. So now we've talked about that. we talked about mm-hmm. horror. Um, what are some of the tropes? I've, I'm oh. curious about them. Ever okay, since okay, you okay. said that first one, I was like, give me some more. <laughs> okay. So I didn't pull a ton, mm-hmm. but there were probably a few probably like two dozen. I don't know how to count. It's fine. I don't need to count anymore. No counting. Uh, I do. This is a problem with me. So (laughs) a lot of the uh, tropes were like adaptational Mm -hmm. something because it's an adaptation. And so they're like, okay, well, they had Mm -hmm. like adaptational or was like a race lift where it was like, okay, the race of this character changed. Uh, So one of them that I pulled was adaptational attractiveness. And so, like, Ben's younger self is much cuter than he's described in the books. And they do that. Like, that's they, a thing yeah. they do in Hollywood where they're like, okay, she's, like, ugly as hell. Cast Scarlett Johansson. Yes, exactly. You know? And then they give her, like, glasses and they're like, isn't she gross? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, Ew, avert glasses. your gaze. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, because Ben's – I haven't read the book, but I do know that, yeah, like, Ben's character is described as, like, pretty gross and then he's like a little cutie patootie like yeah. <laughs> i was like look at this cute kid even yeah. i wrote that down even when they were picking on him i was like this kid's like totally normal and fine why are you guys making fun of this kid like he's just like they were just yelling at him <laughs> and i was like this is just a normal kid <laughs> yeah okay yeah <laughs> it's like totally normal person walks by look at that disgusting right. creature they were like oh god and i was like this kid is <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so then I think you mentioned this one earlier mm-hmm. um, in like passing, but it's the yeah. badass boast. So when Bill shouts oh. at Bev, kill it when they're in the sewer, yeah. Pennywise's kill me. Oh, you are priceless, brat. I am eternal child. I am the eater of worlds and of children and you are next. And so it's that badass <gasps> boast moment where like the villain that. has to yes. monologue. He, you know, he's got to get it out. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And then I mentioned this one a little bit earlier, but I 
the more I think about this and the more I like it. Mm-hmm. It's called Bloodless Carnage. So, which is, yes. says a lot. Which, like, <laughs> really bad sponge. To. Yeah, so it goes back to the limitations on filming because yeah. it was a made-for-TV adaptation. So most of the deaths weren't graphic. Most of the instances of blood were in illusions by Pennywise, like the sink scene with Beverly. Right. And for the most part, it wasn't even referred to as blood. They don't often say, like, no. oh, there was, like, blood here mm-hmm. or something. Right. And so there are a few notable exceptions, <laughs> as well as the subversion of this trope, when adult Stan dies by suicide. So I think I told you earlier that I went down a rabbit hole on tropes. And what yeah. happened is that I was like, you know, last week I couldn't remember the word subvert. Help me remember this. So I was like, I'm going to Google it and I'm going to look at the definition and then I'm going to remember this word so that I can actually say it in the future. <laughs> and then I I couldn't stop reading about subversion of tropes. Do you want to hear a little bit about it? Yeah, of course I do. Okay. So subversion has two mandatory segments. This is all from tvtropes.com. Credit to them. So first, the expectation is set up. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we've seen plenty of times before that we know is coming. Right. Then that setup is paid off with something else entirely. So the setup is the trope. Mm-hmm. And the something else is the subversion. Right. So there's a window pane example. So a car chase is in progress at reckless speeds. The camera cuts to some workers carrying a sheet of glass. Then cuts back to the panic driver headed towards the workers. It seems pretty obvious that the driver is going to smash the glass sheet into a million fragments. Or is it? So if it's not a subversion of the trope, Mm -hmm. the car drives through the pane of glass and it breaks. Right. It's played straight. If the car Mm -hmm. drives through the pane of glass and the workers are heard complaining about why cars that are being chased can avoid nearly everything but a pane of glass, it's lampshaded. And lampshading is like calling attention to a trope and like really pointing it out. Right. If the car misses the pane of glass, it's subverted. If something else causes the glass to be broken before the car can even make it to the glass, it's also subverted. This isn't real. And I'm laughing like I'm I'm seeing it. I'm like, that's hilarious. (laughs) If the pane of glass is broken before being hit by the car, which then drives through a different pane of glass carried by a second pair of workers, it's double subverted. I want to see another this. double subversion is if the car hits the glass and knocks it out of the worker's hands without damage to the glass or the car and then the glass crumbles after it gets picked back up <laughs> so not... oh, this goes so on for like good. another page on oh tv tropes and God. all of that was a direct quote from tv tropes that was not that my is... creation uh that but it so goes through like how do you defy a trope how do you imply a trope how do you exaggerate how do you invoke it like all these different things and so then i was like okay well i i want um examples and so there are two examples Mm -hmm. of the sheet of glass in the simpsons Mm -hmm. uh so let's see in this case, the car hits the glass, but simply knocks it down flat on the ground and drives over it. The workers then pick up the glass, noting, wow, tough glass. <laughs> and then it's again me. subverted. <laughs> In an episode where Bart gets an elephant, the elephant runs off, stampeding down a street towards two workers carrying a glass pane. They jump out of the way of the elephant, and the glass survives, only to jump right into the path of a skateboarding Bart, who also successfully avoids it, eventually making it all the way across the street, glass intact, to complete their goal of throwing it into a dumpster, shattering it to pieces. <laughs> I, this is so, that's so good. So that's 
the subversion of one trope, which is right. the pane of glass. The pane of glass. <laughs> I'm laughing as if we're watching this episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> You're just I've, reading it to me. It's just confession really time. I've never seen The Simpsons. <gasps> You've never seen The Simpsons? My friend Martin would be so upset. <laughs> His favorite show. <laughs> listen, I know I'm a monster. I'm unwilling to change. Okay, listen. Confession time. I've only seen mm-hmm. like a few episodes of The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not that bad. <laughs> You're not that bad at all. I literally watch it like with people who love The Simpsons. I'm like, oh, we should watch it. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I know The Simpsons. I don't really know The Simpsons that much. It's good. Clearly. I mean, you just read me that. I laughed pretty hard. <laughs> Sounds like something I'd enjoy. Oh my god, that's great. That yeah. Okay, so wait, does that happen in this? Do they subvert yeah. some tropes? So the subversion <laughs> is a little bit darker in this one. Yeah, I would um, assume. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> so we were just talking about the whole like bloodless carnage. So right, you never see blood leaving a human body, mm-hmm. and you're set up to kind of have that same like bloodless death, and then at the end of part one. Stan's wife comes mm-hmm. up to the bathroom and sees that he has died by suicide. And you expect to just like see her face and cut right. away because that's what it's been that's done. What, yeah. Instead, it cuts to like the razor blade yeah. and then his blood on the wall spelling out the word it. Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. So that's the first time. You, like, see blood from a human, I think, and probably mm-hmm. the only time, right? Well, maybe not the yeah. only, but, I mean, definitely the most memorable time. And you, like, do see his body. Yeah. And so it's, like, you have been set up this whole time to be, like, okay, well, we're going to have, like, this quick bloodless death that happens right. off screen, and then you're just, you see a horrific sight. Yeah, I wonder if that uh, was the yeah. one death they were kind of, like, can we get away with this? And they were like, I guess. Well, it wasn't like, a child, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't a child in danger, so I guess. Yeah, jeez. So to make it lighter, we can go to some of the other tropes. Yeah. <laughs> so there's the Cassandra truth. So there's mm-hmm. the Greek myth of Cassandra, mm-hmm. uh, who was cursed by Apollo. There are a lot of different interpretations of the myth, but essentially Apollo gives her the gift of foresight but gets mad at her because <laughs> the gods were petty creatures. Yeah. And he says, okay, well, you're going to have mm-hmm. foresight, but no one will ever believe you. And so she was cursed to know what's going to happen and try to warn people, but no one ever believed her. Right. And so the Cassandra truth in this is when Richie is in the basement and sees the werewolf and oh, runs upstairs yeah. and says it, and no one believes him. They just laugh except, at him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, and then I hate yeah. to say it. I totally laughed at him too. <laughs> when he runs up, he goes, "There's something in the basement." And then there's that long pause, and he goes, "It's a oh, werewolf." Man. And I'm like, "Okay, if, if someone had done that at my school and run up and like, there's a werewolf down, I would have lost it. Like, <laughs> I would have been like, okay, this kid's hilarious. What a comedian yeah. genius!" And it, and well, he's and set I mean, up as the comedian. He's set up as a comedian, so of course everyone's gonna be like, "Oh my god, Rich, he's so funny." <laughs> that's great. That's that's great. I love that. <clears throat> Then there's also the deadly euphemism. So Mm -hmm. um, I had to like do some more digging on this one because I wanted to make sure I understood it. But (laughs) essentially it's um, saying that someone's going to die without saying the word die. And it's not the trope never say die where it's like a censorship thing. Yeah. It's a euphemism for death. Right. That can sometimes be scarier. So when Pennywise takes the form of Ben's father outside the sewer and slowly turns into Pennywise. I love that part. Mm -hmm. 
his dad slash Pennywise tells Ben he'll never have to grow up. And the audience gets that that's not in a Peter Pan way. (laughs) So that's a deadly euphemism. And then we already talked about, does this remind you of anything? Right. Evil is hammy. And (laughs) so Pennywise cracks ridiculous jokes and looks absurd, but still manages to be sinister. He sure does. So he's still unequivocally evil, but he's ridiculous. He's a ham. Uh, And then these two last ones are my favorites. Ragtag bunch of misfits. Oh, because of it's like, could it be more? I okay, so I wrote this down too. That this movie is because, like, um, another Stephen King book movie, you know, is Stand by Me, and I'm like, I was watching it. And it's like this has some real Stand by Me vibes, and then I went until it really doesn't. <laughs> like you're like, wow, it's so nice. Look at them building their little fort, and then you're like, oh god, nothing good is gonna happen to them. <laughs> I've also never seen Stand By Me. That's okay. It's, you know what? I wouldn't even say that that one's considered like a horror movie. So I wouldn't, you know. Then I'm not going to watch it. Then yeah, we don't watch those around here. No. But no, genuinely good movie. Check it out. It's good stuff. Okay. This one had similar vibes where it's like a bunch of kids who are like, we're misfits and we're going to hang out and have a great time. And it really does have those vibes for like a little bit until you're like, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, they're building the dam, and yeah. it's like, they're just having a good time being pals. And it was, like, like cute really cute. Music. They're like, yeah, we're having a great time. We're the losers. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, God, something bad's coming to you guys. Yep. Uh, and then the last trope that uh-huh. I pulled is, you cannot grasp the true form. And it's that, like, <laughs> I exist in dimensions hey, beyond your understanding. Like, you cannot comprehend me. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's right, because I didn't know yeah. he was an alien. I couldn't comprehend that. <laughs> I was like, no, he's just a clown. <laughs> that also plays into a lot of, like, eldritch horror tropes. Uh-huh. So, like, if you're playing, like, Call of Cthulhu right. and stuff like that, like, a lot of those have, like, body horror, but also beyond comprehension, where it's like, you cannot put into words the horror right. that you're seeing. Uh, and so part of that is, like, you can't describe my true form because your brain would break, you know? <laughs> I mean, and I feel like they did a good job of that just because of how often he changes. Not just like he's a werewolf now and then he's a clown. and then, But like that scene with, you know, Ben's dad, like slowly changing from like, you know, it's just weird. It's like you can perceive him in so many different ways so fast. I get it. That, that's a good one. I like that one. He really creeped me out. Um, before I forget, do you want to talk about the worst death in this movie that I've been thinking about this whole time? Because yeah. we were talking about how there's no blood, there's none of this. And I was like, yeah, it's not that scary. This death in this movie has haunted me my whole life. That kid going into the drain pipe and bending forward, doing it. Have you, you remember that? When they're in the no. sewer and the bully gets sucked into <gasps> yes. the pipe and his whole body just crumples. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think about that. Every time I, like, start this movie, I'm always like, oh, I got to see the drain pipe part. Like, it creeps me out. Because, like you said, there's no blood. There's no gore or anything. It's just his face. His eyes are wide open. And he's just, like, bending. And I'm like, oh, his body's not supposed to do that. Oh. Yeah. So when we were talking about the blood and stuff, I was like, I got to remember to bring this up. Because I was like, I wonder if it creeps you guys. What does it creep me out? It, ugh, it haunts me. Just... Oh, yeah. That's spooky as shit. Right? It's so upsetting. It It's just, I don't know. It's his eyes being open. He doesn't look scared. I think that's the worst part. It's like, ugh. 
Yeah. Spooky movie. <laughs> so if you had to rate this movie, first of all, what would your scale be? Like what is it um, balloons? Oh yeah. It would definitely be balloons. Yeah. You know, that's okay. yeah. Um for me it's a classic because I mm-hmm. watched it when I was little. So I feel like a lot of this is coming from nostalgia. So I'm gonna give it just like I did it follows, like four and a half. I maybe five balloons for me just because I love it so much. Like, <laughs> I think I got to give this one a good classic five balloons. It, I want to float. <laughs> I, I want to. I want to float too. I want to float too. You know, I, I got to give it a five. It, it was such a classic movie for me. Like, don't okay. be wrong. It's got its issues. I know that. But dang, it was a good movie. I think for me, judging it solely mm-hmm. on the first half and not oh, when yeah. they're all adults, because Let I know that say. that's like a huge letdown. Five out of five balloons for the part where they're like kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, I don't like the ending of this movie. Even the first chapter, I get upset when she shoots like one little piece of silver at it and he's like, ow, my body and like dies. That's ridiculous to me. But the rest of it, the practical effects, the that creepy pipe death, they got me. I can't. I think that for me, like, the juxtaposition of, like, the color and the sinister, like, to me, that was, like, five out of five balloons. Yeah. I think for the pacing, I think it's hard to judge it on its own because the end felt very rushed where suddenly they're in the sewers, they hit it twice with silver earrings, and they're like, well, we must have killed it, but just in case we didn't, let's meet back here in 30 years if we need to. And so I feel like the- pacing of it was kind of off so like i'm gonna i'm only gonna give it four and a half balloons i i kind of have a feeling that i'm gonna give everything four and a half balloons unless i'm given an egregious reason to not because i am very generous i feel like i'll be mad about um yeah no and see and that's i told you because when we talked about doing this movie i was like you're gonna hate the end and i was like i know you're gonna hate the end i hate the end I, I know this movie. I've seen it a million times and I love it. Like, it's such a classic for me. But I still, like, I zone out. As soon as they're like, let's get the earrings. I'm like, I'm out. I'm done. Because it's just so rushed. It's so, they built up this monster. They built him up and they really made him scary. And then they're like, we hit it with earrings. Yay! <laughs> and I'm like, okay. At least give me something more than that. And then they're like, okay, must be dead. See you in 30 years. Bye. They do it so fast. And I don't know if it's because they were, you know, making it for TV. They had to be like, okay, we have to hurry up, get to chapter two. I I don't know. I don't know if that's why it feels so rushed. But yeah, I knew you wouldn't like it. And I knew that I was like, yeah, that's going to be the worst part of this. (laughs) And I have, okay, so Mm -hmm. spoiler, we can cut this out if we need to. But we're doing the remake of It next week. Yeah. And I have Very different. so much to say about the way mm-hmm. like they did it in this too because obviously they weren't going to include it in a made for TV movie. Right. But in the book Beth has sex with all of the movie yep. stars to bond them. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and in yeah, in this one I believe it is just the inhaler. It's the inhaler before and then afterwards they have a group hug. Yeah. In the new movie they have a blood pact. Oh right. Yeah. Which I don't even know why you would, like, write that, Stephen King. I have questions. What the fuck? But, okay. Glad that we didn't do it in the movie. Uh, I remember 
obviously because I watched this when I was like young, you know, so I, I knew the movie really well. And then I remember when I was older, I was talking to someone who like loved the book and they're like, yeah, my only part that I don't like is that they have sex with Beth. And I was like, I'm sorry, excuse me. Cause I hadn't read the book and I was like, can you elaborate? What the fuck? Like <laughs> that every time I hear that part, I'm like, yeah, no, that don't ever put that in anything. Thanks so much. I remember children. Yeah, I remember hearing that they were making this remake, like, when it was first being, like, announced. And I was like, they better not put that in. I didn't think that they would, but I was like, I really hope that that is something they omit. I really did, and I'm glad they did, obviously. Um, But, yeah, I'm excited to talk about the remake. I mean, I don't... It's not a surprise. I mean, we're talking about this. We had to talk about the remake just because it's so different because it's a real movie. I mean, I'm I'm so excited. I really am. (sighs) It's... Yeah, very different. So that wraps up mm-hmm. our discussion of It, 1990, the first part. <laughs> just chapter one. We're not going to chapter, chapter two. No. I'm sorry. If you guys really demand it, if you're like, you got to watch chapter two, fine. But listen, I don't want to. <laughs> no. <laughs> I really like the first one and I don't want to taint it. Oh, can I just say before we forget, one of my favorite um, moments in the first like half of the movie that they do that so many movies don't, that... I don't want to say trope necessarily, but that thing of seeing things that aren't really there, you know, Mm -hmm. like you see it and someone doesn't. Usually the thing that you usually do is they'll show the person not seeing it and there's nothing there. And you're like, wow, there is nothing there. In this one, they show the blood and it is amazing to me. Like when he touches the sink and and then touches her face. Yes. And the blood is still there, but he's not reacting to it. Which is such an unusual thing, because in most movies, they'll just show the person seeing nothing and then being like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, I guess I was seeing things. And in this, they keep seeing it. And I love that. When he touches Mm -hmm. her face, the same in the part with the book with um, Georgie, when the book is covered in blood and the mom's hugging it. And you're like, how do you not see this? Yeah. So I wanted to, I forgot to bring it up earlier, but I just, I love that part. I was like, I, I so rarely see a movie do that. And I was like, that's so cool. So I also love that part because it's like, again, this horrific, disgusting yes. thing paired with like a mother hugging a book to her chest. Yes, exactly. And it's like, this is disgusting, but it's like, but they don't know. But it's just nice because usually they don't show it to you. But they were like, no, 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 it's there. Like, <laughs> we're going to do think it. It's <clears throat> also so like there are just so many available paths for analysis for that because it's Mm -hmm. like adults not understanding the struggles that children have or adults being willfully ignorant of abuses or trauma that their children experience and so like it doesn't have to be interpreted that way but there are so many options there's a yeah there's a lot and they leave it open-ended which is great Mm -hmm. i mean it's for you to figure out and yeah i just want to bring up that part because it was like my favorite Uh, part but yeah um i mean that was it that's it and that's it. <laughs> um, I I stand by my five balloons. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited to watch the remake. I think it's going to be. Yeah. I think it's going to be really different. I'm pumped for the remake. I already have my notes started because oh I found some God. articles. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're a monster. <laughs> I am a monster. You're a space spider. I'm a space spider. You're <sighs> a space spider. We're all We're space all spiders. Space spiders. And you so know you- what? Let's end it there. We're all space spiders. We're all space spiders. <laughs> if you're a space spider, I'm a space spider. Oh my god, it's like the notebook. If you're yeah. a bird, I'm a bird. <laughs> <laughs> you're a space spider, I'm a space spider. Oh my god, I'm just going anyway, to Anyway, that's the bird discussion spider. of it. If you enjoyed your time with us, we would greatly appreciate it if you'd like and review on Apple Podcasts. 
Yes, Maybe please. follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Just Cool With It. Check out our extended show notes on our website, justcoolwithitpod.com. Or maybe even check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash justcoolwithit. It's if good. you really like us. And then we'd also like to take this opportunity to thank Kim, Kelly, and Nihar, our incredible patrons. They're all literal stars. I love you guys. That's three kisses for you. Three kisses <laughs> for you. Three kisses. <laughs> town of Derry, Maine, seven friends, Bill, Eddie, Mike, Beverly, Stanley, Richie, and Ben. Bird clock. <laughs> I'm gonna take it back. <laughs> this damn bird clock. <laughs>